Before we start today's episode, we would like to thank our newest Patreon supporters, Peter Tromba and Kristen Gimbel. Your support means the world to us. Thank you. I'm just thinking like gender power dynamic, like it would be great if it at least felt like you were both holding it equally, even if it's not in, in the same point in the thing, unless, unless Delma's like the main host and you're considered a co-host and yeah. She's my, um, we'll lackey. Take, we'll, Am I lackey? Lackey? No, like, like. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Dive In Justice, the podcast that explores building ideal communities with our less-than-ideal selves. I'm Delma Jackson. And I'm Shandine Garcia. And today, we'll be joined by Sarah Katandon. You won't want to miss this. I'm going to take some time to check in with my co-host here, Shandine. How are you? How you doing? Sometimes I... I sit there and I have to really think, what's a high? What's a low? What do I? And I, I spin in my head in between the being honest about less than ideal selves or saying a high or a low that I'm not embarrassed to say publicly. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm actually, I was scared to say my high last time we jumped on here and I'm a little scared again, but we said we were going to go all in. So I'm just letting my audience know I'm scared to say this out loud. Mm-hmm. Um. I have signed up for a second uh, concealed carry gun license class here in Oregon. Mm, mm-hmm. And I've taken one already. And I didn't like the class that I took. I felt that it was um, dudes were super aggro, right wing nut jobs. Mm. And my friend took a phenomenal class out in Massachusetts, which which was by a black man, all about liberation and love mm-hmm. and what it means mm-hmm. and responsibility in in the and framed in just the most beautiful way. So I thought, all right, I'm gonna try again. And I am so my high is that I signed up, that I actually did it. Um because it it I can think about it all I want, but actually hitting the send button and registering is a whole other thing. And there aren't a lot of people I can say that out loud to. I remember one time almost whispering it to my one of my closest friends and she whispered back, I have one too. Mm. I have, and I have a gun, mm-hmm. but you can't say it in settings. So my high is that I followed through with it completely. Um, so when I, like I said, when I woke up this morning, I was a little scared to say it out loud. My low this week it feels selfish to say I about my reason why it bothers me. I can't get vaccinated. I'm allergic to vaccinations. Hmm. I have been since I was a child. Most people are done with all of their shots by the time they enter kindergarten. I had quarter doses until I was 12 because I'm allergic to them. Hmm. And I was told that because my allergies are pretty severe, I can't be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And I'm super upset about, like, almost um, irrationally upset about it. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. That's got to be upsetting. Um, real quick follow up. I have a yeah. question for you. 
what is it when you when you talk about the secretive nature of getting licensing to carry? Mm-hmm. What is that about? The judgment that you know the the uh, Eugene, Oregon is akin to Burlington, Madison, Wisconsin, Austin, Texas. These like hyper liberal uh, spaces. You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super hyper liberal spaces with super judgy people. Super white. Um, not that there aren't amazing communities of color in all of them, sure. but um, they have this culture, if you will, in quotes, that I'll be judged, that I'll be a shitty person who is, you know, not afraid to, or that doesn't value life, that doesn't center love and life and mm. and care for all human beings because I have a gun. That's interesting. Because I want a gun. That's interesting. Um I don't know. I guess I always assume that as uh, global majority folks, folks of color, whatever you want to call it, right? I just assume we got to pass on that shit, honestly. Um, I'd be damned if a white person look at me sideways because I'm carrying or want to carry. Like, do you know anything about what it is to embody this personhood? Seriously. That's a level of privilege I cannot fathom. Which is why it that's crazy. I it bothers me that I'm that I'm bothered by it. It's fucked up, right? When I talk to my young brothers and sisters of color, they're like, "Do you want some money to to, to pass the <laughs> right. to pay for the Like, can I help right. you get the gun? You want me to help? Like, my bestie in 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 Maine is like, "Here, let me tell you the gun types. Let me tell you how like the carry. Let me like how can I help? Yeah. Or how can I how can I get it in your hand right now? Uh-huh. Because that shit's real outside your window. Yeah, you want lasers? You want you want silencers? Right, right. <laughs> what kind <laughs> of what kind of you want? Yeah. you want some accessories? You know what I'm saying? I don't hollow Seriously. points. What what can I do for you? No, that's crazy. Right. right. Um, and then I mean, and then I, also, I can actually I can feel it and hear it right mm-hmm. now. I can feel and hear someone who I know and love who would look at me and say, "What about?" human life like you could actually shoot somebody yes yes i can <laughs> <laughs> exactly like yeah. yeah and not just in the knees no like, no <laughs> not uh-uh. be aiming for the knees uh-uh uh-uh no i think um so coming from a city that's known for violent homicide historically right uh, unfortunately um i grew up as no stranger to firearms. It was so embedded in the culture between like a hyper-masculine gangster rap of the 90s and then just growing up where I did. Um, I even carried for a summer at one point and gave it up after feeling like peer pressure to shoot at someone. Mm. Um, and I pulled the trigger a few times, but high in the higher like above their head kind of thing. And then it hit me later, like, you don't know where those bullets went. Right. Right. Um, right. It's not like I was shooting in the sky. And so, um, yeah, I, I played gangster for a hot second and realized this isn't for me, right? <laughs> like, I am not that dude, and I don't ever want to be that dude. Um, but certainly no stranger to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know why, I, but I am. I feel... Like my father, when I was mugged in college, went out, bought me a gun, bought me a purse to keep the gun in, mm-hmm. took me to the range, showed me how to shoot. Mm-hmm. And 
I remember taking it back to college thinking, could I shoot somebody? Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and, and my father's watching me grapple with this, like, mm-hmm. love and care for humanity. And he was like, fuck it. I mean, he didn't say fuck it. He didn't swear. But he was like, shoot him in the knees then. Mm-hmm. If you think you can't kill someone, shoot him in the knees. And now, 20 years later, mm-hmm. more than 20 years later, 20 plus years later, be- I could shoot the kill if someone was coming, like, coming at Like, I'd know I would, I would not hesitate to murder somebody coming near me or my family, period. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that um, and the vulnerability around that. Um, that's what's up. Thank you. Um, Thanks for your questions. It it helps me to unpack it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For yeah. sure. We wanted to now introduce our guest for today's episode, Ms. Sarika Tandon. Uh, she is an equity strategist and racial justice advocate who consults, teaches, writes, does the research, collaborates, and focuses on the intersections of race, equity, and environmental issues more specifically. Uh, she's also a curriculum director of the Racial Equity Leadership Lab, which is where I personally got to work with her the most. Um, collaborative racial equity learning space. For Urban Cities Network within the Nature Conservancy, she's an adjunct faculty member at Antioch University, the New England's Graduate School of Environmental Studies, where she teaches about justice, equity in the environment, and climate justice and equitable adaptation. In 2020, Sarika co-developed and led the Climate Justice Deep Dive for research faculty with the Sustainable Solutions Lab at UMass Boston. She is an equity strategist with Shelburne Farms, where she is the lead designer and facilitator for the Power, Equity, Privilege, and Race Professional Learning Program. As a program director at the Center for Whole Communities, Sarika led the development of whole measures for urban conservation, an equity-oriented planning eval, and community engagement focusing on justice and fairness, economic vitality, community engagement, and community resilience. Sarika has... Re- served as a co-advisor to Montpelier High School's Racial Justice Alliance and serves on the advisory boards of the Vermont Coalition for Ethnic and Social Equity in Schools and the Montpelier Community Justice Center. She is on the Equity Working Group of the Local Solutions Climate Change Conference, where she has led conference sessions on race, climate, and equity. I really, really am excited to introduce her to our pod, bring her into our conversation. It's been such a pleasure to know her for as long as I have, and I'm hoping to continue to make some good trouble with her. Uh, I don't understand how you've done so much and how you do so much. I just want to name that. Uh, I thought my resume was impressive. This is ridiculous. I'm going to need you to sit down at some point in the future and take a break. Go have that month with Shandine, maybe. Um, <laughs> welcome to our show. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It is so, such a pleasure to be here. I'm just excited to have a chance to be together and to talk right. again. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're the one who introduced me to Shandine. I will take responsibility for that. Yes. Right. Blessing and a curse. Blessing and a curse. <laughs> Meaning I'm the blessing. Oh, and yeah, you're that's the curse. a double edged sword, right? 
Right. That's what... I'm the blessing yeah. and you're the curse. Don't love, sorry. <laughs> we can have that argument later. I'm not doing this with y'all right now. She got it. She got it very clear. She knew exactly what I, I will meant. start muting microphones. Sorry, I don't care. Blessing. I don't even care. Delma. Curse. Whatever. I don't like it when people are mean to me. Um <laughs> don't know that I've ever had the chance to connect your the arc of your story to where you find yourself mm-hmm. now. And that's something I often like to ask our guests as just an opener, right? Like, what yeah. led you to, to this work? My story starts with growing up in a suburb of Rochester, New York, on the white side of redlining in a brown body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just... I just came to understand the term xenophobic racism, which was the special kind for me, <laughs> for me and a lot of people uh, like me. And so uh, the embodied experience of, of feeling like I lived in a place where I was not wanted um, and that people would prefer that I went back to my country and just living. And I'm, I'm realizing that racism is it's one level of it is just feeling anxious all the time. Because you never know where the next blow is going to come from, and you know, you, ne- you just like anyone in the general landscape could be the source of the next um, the next hit. And so that I grew up with that, but with no language or understanding or analysis about that. Um, I think like a lot of Asian immigrant families who you know are living in the white suburbs or whatever, that it wasn't like resist. Like you know, there was no power analysis. There was no. Um, unpacking my experience. I don't think my folks knew what we were going through at school, my brother and I. Um, So when I went to grad school, I was in um, Northern New England. I was in a traditionally white male-led field, and I wasn't in a hyper-diverse university as I had been in the past, studying in Berkeley or in Fachingen University in an international program. And I I looked around me, and I, I was like, what is going on here? And then I took a class that gave me an analysis. It's called Diversity, Justice, and Inclusion. And the beauty of, of that story is I teach that class now. And I'm, I stuck with it as a teacher because that class changed my life and it gave me some of the tools to understand my own oppression and then really galvanized me um, to change. I, I, the, there were two choices at that point. It was leave this messed up, racist, white supremacist environmental movement because it does not reflect me. It does not affirm me. It does not support the well-being of Black, Indigenous, and communities of color. Or stay and tell that story and create accountability and change it so that it does. And I chose to stay. Thank you for giving Diving Justice a listen. We recognize that your time is the most valuable currency you have. If you're digging the pod, there are a couple of things you can do to show your support. First, head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds of your time. And every review helps us grow our listenership and broadens the conversations we can have together. The second thing you can do and should do is consider supporting the podcast by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dot underscore in underscore justice. And that's why I do the work I do, because it's um, I care so much about the earth. And that is my birthright as a human being. 
And to have the idea that loving the earth is a white expression or a white experience is so, is so against everything I've learned in my travels around the world, all the people I've met, the earth people. Um, and to think that this movement is white dominated and that all the money is going to the folks, um, from, European heritage versus the communities that are most impacted. It's, I just, I couldn't, um, I couldn't be a part of that. So I'm trying to be a part of the change of that. I appreciate the, the trajectory of you taking that class to actually you teaching that class. My follow-up question is not a question that will surprise you. We, as in folks of color, will watch white people take that quote unquote healing work and whiteify it, right? Like yoga and save the trees and plant the trees and, and climate justice. And in a way that's just, it, uh, the appropriation, the, all of the horrible things that they do when they take it. Um, my question is how do we save this healing work that, you do, you lead, you embody from being white-ified? I think the fact that it's we who are doing it, it is, is part of that. And for me, it's embodying who I am in my identity as a Kathri caste, you know, Himachali from the north of India, from the foothills. So like I'm bringing my ancestors in and I'm calling I'm calling in on them all the time. And I feel like the more authentically I express who I am and my leadership and my vision, and the more I do that in solidarity with other people um, who represent all the groups that have the brilliance to, to save us um, and have been left out, then we are taking up the space with our authenticity. So I'm, I'm becoming less interested in correcting what the white people are doing and more interested in shining, radiant, joyful. I've, I've come up with a new word. It's called thrivance. I'm really interested in BIPOC thrivance. So my investment right now is like, how can I nurture the bright and the light and the, the wisdom and bring the best of my ancestors through me to, so that that's the energy like pervading the space? And then I feel like the rest will sort itself. I love it. I feel like you didn't even grant the premise of the question, <laughs> which is, it's beautiful, right? It's like, it's, I'm not trying to save it from being whiteified. I'm trying to live and be and embody thrivance. Soft and everything we seem to do feels like a reaction to what white folks are doing as opposed to creating a vision for ourselves. So I appreciate that. I'm curious as to what's what's going on with Sarika right now in this moment. Can you be a little more specific? No, no, you're <laughs> going to take that question and answer it how you like. I was, I was, I guess I was thinking about it from from the standpoint of um, maybe your work, but maybe that's not what is most pressing right now. You know. Um, yeah, what feels like authentically up for you right now these days? Well, what's up for me right now is is uh, I guess a prayer for uh, like a deeper learning, so that as I lead other people through their learning, I'm also continuing to grow and have more of a meta level vision for how what I'm doing fits into um, 
the universe and some like movement strategy and how that links with, with spirit and, um, the more deeper inner parts of ourselves and healing. I have a question that's, um, very much on the other trajectory of that. This work is oftentimes I feel work that's like the work that you're mentioning is exhausting. Um, and some days just even hard to get out of bed to get up and facilitate the meeting. And there are particular things that will trigger uh, my uncooperativeness, my <laughs> my stubbornness, my pettiness, my whatever I th- these things. You know, when the mic wasn't hot, we were talking about our are some of our default parenting patterns that probably aren't, you know, ones that we want to shout off the rooftops with pride. And in that kind of framing in your work, what does your petty look like? What does your stubborn look like? What, what triggers it? What is, how does it manifest? How does it show up? You know, we, we talk about being our less than ideal. Oh selves. yeah. Um, oh, there's, so, I'm like, how much time do you have? Yeah. What, the, the, <laughs> I think for me, the thing that I think is so hilarious about me being a race equity consultant who trains multiracial groups is that when I'll put it this way, when white people behave badly, like I actually, I don't know what to do, which is why I always work in teams. Like I freeze, I get triggered. I shut down and I'm like, really sorry, guy, after all these years. And I'm realizing sometimes I'm in situations where I can't, you know, look at my co-facilitator and be like, this one's yours. That's what I usually try to do. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, and, and Delma, I've seen you handle situations like this with tremendous grace and aplomb. Um, and yeah, so um, for me, it's that it's this impatience, this anger, this like, I listen, I want to feel the connectedness of all beings and like not, you know, be like judging people or annoyed at them or putting them down in my heads. But um, I really still struggle with people. I mean, I'm like, we're f- about 500 years in y'all. Like there's some basic literacy every human should have about how oppression works and like how you treat people. Um so yeah, that's where it breaks down a little bit for me. And again, thank you to every single person who's ever worked on a team with me because if I was not a collaborator, I I would not be able to do my work. I think it's like, I feel this so deeply um, that it interferes with my ability to function. Like that's the real deeper level of it. Like it, the trauma is so visceral. Um, and and a lot of times I'm I'm just naming like the trauma is happening to someone with different labels than me, but my body doesn't feels a solidarity where it doesn't completely understand the difference. Like maybe that thing wouldn't happen to you. Like I don't care. I'm a human being, and I so I um, I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm an empath. I'm I'm um, an introvert. So there are times I agree, Delma, where I just can't like the literal thing that it is my job to do. If there is a recent trauma that I haven't metabolized enough to function, I I'm calling in and I'm very clear with people. Um, and certainly this summer, there were times where I was like, I cannot, I cannot hold this conversation with this group of people because I'm in too much pain. And I'm like, I need to, I need to handle my trauma. Is that why you always work with a team? 
Yes, <laughs> definitely. Definitely. And, and there are times where my team members will say the same thing. And I'm like, yeah, take care of yourself. Like this can wait. Cause this is the work, right? Is like, is recognizing this is happening and tending to, tending to it in ourselves. Like that's part of the healing that society needs to do is that people who are targeted get to take care of themselves. Even when everyone else says they need something for them from them. Yeah, what came up for me just now is a phrase my dad used to say. Sometimes I'd ask him how he was doing. I'm, I'm resting and recuperating like like a white man. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and and yeah, like there's a there's an audacity. Yes. To recovery. Yes. Right? Yes. And I'm right in the middle of it. I'm about to take a month off, which I, you know, was, we were just talking about this a couple of days ago. All I have is anxiety about how I'm going to fuck it up. And that's why I'm here to I- call you every day and ask you, how <laughs> have you fucked it up today? <laughs> My daily phone, Your daily call. phone call. Did you fuck it up? Did you ass out? Nice. On a scale of one to 10, five minutes. How did you fuck this up today? <laughs> Which is part of what I think that, like, when we talk about what does our petty look like, our petty isn't, like, it's what other people, like, you don't, like, there's some petty that's, like, I can't stand it when someone walks in and wears fucking sandals, socks with sandals in their granola outfit into a training, and, like, I already, I'm like, like, I don't want this audience, right? That's my, right? But if, 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 if petty is, is we get frustrated because we're triggered and we haven't been able to like actually what, what word language to use. We're still working on metabolizing it. Mm-hmm. That's not petty. That's, yeah. That's real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, okay, what's my real petty? I'm like, let's. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The amount of time I look at myself while zooming with other people to see if <laughs> it's, it's not okay. Like, I don't, I'm not even like obsessed with myself, but some part of me is like, I must flip my hair like 10 times in, in a one hour call. There's a lot of that. I think. <laughs> so is Delma. Um, I would, if time. I had hair, I would. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> like, sometimes I like to get in the Zoom call and just pin my own frame. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be like 50 people on the call, but I only want to look at myself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and think I'm so pretty over and over again in my head. I don't care. I own it. Sometimes he'll start singing. Yeah, loud, song. accidentally. So or like, yeah, see that yeah, video? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it comes out like a Disney yeah. movie. This shit is sad. Coffee yeah. <laughs> makers dancing and shit. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate you. Um, thanks for taking some time to be with us. Um, you're definitely one of my favorite people. And um, I'm hoping you'll join us again for another episode at some point. Sure. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. I appreciate the example that you've consistently set 
in my life um, in this work. Um, it's been phenomenal to work with you. It's been phenomenal um, to report to you, you know, and to have your leadership, um, particularly around the racial equity leadership lab work. Um, yeah, you're a force. And um, I think you're just a dope ass human being. So thank you for existing. Thank you for doing the work you do. Um, such a, a blessing to to have had the opportunity to work with you and to continue to work with you. Um, and I know you're busy as fuck. We could tell that from your bio. So thanks for taking some time to be with us. I do want to say, Sarka, before we get off, I don't think you know how unique it is. The crew you brought together and the way in which you created the conditions for the crew to um, to come in and out in our fullest humanity mm. in the way that we did. Mm-hmm. I, I talk about it all mm-hmm. the time in all these other spaces that you tripled the amount of people, quadrupled that would normally be on a project because you wanted us to center our wholeness. Mm-hmm. I, you know, usually you go to these two, three day workshops. You're doing all of the work, the whole thing, everything. You divided it up so we each had a half day. You we created it. You created time for us to know each other so that uh, real time example. Delma could be like, I I can't do it. This I, I'm in an airport. Shanine, can you tag in right? And there was no you know. And Delma's like, Yep. And I mean, I would Dewey was said yes, and yeah. I'll be back up. And so mm-hmm. it's the, the conditions you create allowed us to feel free in our work. That's not a, that's a, for me, an anomaly. And for, it feels like, I don't want to speak for Delma, but as he's in this place in his life with Center for Whole Communities, mm. this pod that he's dreamed into being, his, like, like he's creating that now for himself. I've never had that outside of the Racial oh, Equity wow. Leadership Lab, ever. Mm. And that's you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, it's all of us. We we all did that. We created that space <laughs> together. And the- <laughs> just take it. But the other reason there were so many of us is because we all have different experiences of walking on this earth. And I wanted to presence different experiences. So it was, I wasn't overstaffing it on purpose to make it less work for each person, which was a side benefit. But I was really thinking like, who who do I want on this team to bring a perspective? And I remember Shandin, when I met you, because I was just building that team related to ethnic studies work, I was like, Oh my gosh, like people refer to you as, as Shandine. Oh, that goddess life person who helped us with ethnic studies. Um, do you know that that's what happened? Delma, I met Shandine on a call and then I cold emailed her and just invited her to be on the team. Just having spent like 22 minutes with her, I was like, um, mm. this person is amazing. Like, I want to work with this person. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to work with you. And you have this graceful way of deflecting compliments. Um, I just want to name that. But you you are a dope person and a dope leader, dope to work with and for. And um, yeah, I'll just keep coming back to that until you finally be like, you know what? Thank you, Delma. Thank you, Shandine. You're Thank right. Thank you, I am Delma. Dope. Thank you, Shandine. I am dope. Boom. <laughs> Boom. I call that a win. I'm about to hang up on both of y'all now. Dive in Justice is a co-production of the Center for Whole Communities and Shoreline Consulting.
The Center for Whole Communities exists to build capacity at the individual, organizational, and community level to deepen awareness, embrace differences, and value relationships, thus making change possible. Shoreline Consulting co-constructs solutions and strategies that align with your goals and leverages the voices, perspectives, and wisdom of those who stand to benefit. For more information on the Center for Whole Communities, find us at wholecommunities.org. For more information on Shoreline Consulting, visit us on the web at thinkshorelines.com. Shandine and I also want to thank Doug Berenstein for his editing expertise, Susanna McCandless for administrative acumen, and Jenny Cotton for her marketing and promotion powers. Without these folks, this show wouldn't be